Welcome back to Great Quarter, guys. This is episode 53. I haven't done a numerical uh, episode in a long time, so this one is to Keith Bullock, my favorite Titan of all time, number 53. We've got a fun show. We're going to talk about the news that prompted Seth to sell his Tesla shares uh, just recently. That That is, of course, Apple entering the car market, expected to be <clears throat> 2024 when they bring their first consumer car. So we're going to talk about that, what its impact to the market is. Can they really be a competitor to Tesla? But before we do that, we're going to have a couple you care or NAS. We're going to talk about XL Fleet, which is another EV spec. Uh, again, just a whole pipeline of them. This one's actually pretty interesting. They're in a niche uh, commercial fleet market. Then we'll talk about BarkBox. If there's anything that culminates 2020 better than a subscription service for your dog that's now valued at $2 billion and going public through a SPAC, uh, it's BarkBox. So we're going to talk about those two as well. Uh, I want to give a shout out before we do that to Gene Soroka and the Port of LA Longshoremen. They seemingly have saved Christmas. Uh, there's been news reports that Gene Soroka and those Port of LA Longshoremen have gone out and have been plucking uh, containers full of toys after the toy makers had come to them and said that the toys weren't going to be delivered by Christmas. So they've been filling Slanta's sleigh with a bunch of containers uh, at the Port of LA that, that had been stacked in the past in the massive piles of cargo there. So shout out to you guys. All right, let's do it. You care or not, Seth, about XL Fleet. So this is the completion of another EV spec this week. This one, of course, XL Fleet. It finalized its merger with Pivotal Investing Corp. number two on Monday. XL Fleet is attacking the very large niche of commercial vehicles. Essentially, XL Fleet can turn all sorts of different commercial vehicles from F-150s to heavy-duty fire trucks and ambulance into hybrid or plug-in hybrid vehicles. Seth, you care or not nah about XL Fleet? I do care about this one. And, um, you know, it's also really a play on Class 8 vehicles, too. Um, so I don't know if you want to you want to get into discussion about the business model here and maybe what they do, but basically XL Fleet is a company, they have electric powertrains that convert a gasoline or diesel-powered internal combustion engine to a hybrid. And that can be done on anything from an F-150 to an ambulance uh, to a Class 8 truck. And so why it matters from our transportation angle, uh, Jim Cramer did a big segment on this on Friday uh, that you and I both watched. It was very good. I would recommend if, if you want to do more research and learn about the company. Um, but so Class 8 trucks uh, are only 2% of the, what is it, the commer U.S. commercial or, and retail fleet. Yeah. But they consume, obviously, you know, 20% of the fuel. So the question is, if you can do this at a decent cost, uh, you can potentially, you know, save the environment mm -hmm. and save a lot of money on fuel. <clears throat> now, the question is, can you do that? And they already have a big customer list, yep. uh, including FedEx. And I'm looking here, Pepsi, uh, Seattle Fire Department, uh, GM, Ford, the list goes on. So it's a real company. It's growing. Um, and I think, you know, I, there are a lot of questions that we can get into um, in terms of the long-term viability. But I think uh, the overall thing about this company that I like is it's sort of, it's a transitional solution to that EV future. So one of the problems with uh, Nikola or Tesla, the Tesla Semi, uh, not only are commercial fleets, it has to be 99%, 99 99.9%, uh, you know, reliable. Yep. You can't have downtime because you're missing out on revenue and they, they want to wade into it. And then you can't, you can't get these production lines going. This is sort of a, a good, uh, solution yep. to get you halfway there. Yeah, agreed. It's a gradual solution that can help these companies try to test out some of the te technology. You know, that's a big thing. We, we've seen 
whether it's Walmart or any of these big Anheuser-Busch, they've made big orders for Tesla semis, but they've only been like 100 semis. You know, this is something that they can have to test and make sure that it works for their solution and then, you know, go in bigger then. So this is a good solution to, to help people kind of test the waters. I'll go ahead and explain a little bit, because I, I learned this uh, during Kramer's little segment, that commercial vehicles are produced in two stages. They have the OEMs will, you know, basically produce 90% of the vehicle, uh, an almost finished product, and then they'll send it up to an upfitter who will outfit it with all the specialized equipment that it needs, the, the lights, the sensors, anything else that would be needed on a fire truck or, or something like that. And in, in that second stage is when this powertrain is added and uh, can make a fossil fuel car a, a hybrid or a plug-in hybrid. So it's a really interesting model. It's a huge market. Uh, Kramer said that we spend a trillion dollars on commercial vehicles every year. That, that includes everything from vehicle procurement. It includes fuel as well. Again, 20% of all fuel uh, comes from these Class 8 trucks. So the, the market's huge. They already have an in, they've already installed it in 3,200 systems, uh, plan to have another 10,000 on the road by the end of 2021. So unlike a lot of these other EVs that we've seen, this is something we were just talking about off air, uh, these SPACs and these SPAC EVs, they, they're able to put out these forward projections in their, in their S1, and they're just outrageous. Most of them are, you know, we have no revenue this year. We're going to have $500 million in next year and $2 billion in four years. This one actually seems to be a reasonable company that's already got a product on the market and their projections are not outrageous yeah i agree and um yeah i mean that is one thing that has been interesting um you know we uh, i've been doing passport research we wrote a, a paper last friday on the electric vehicle market i mean it's just taken the capital markets by storm um i think uh just last friday there were five SPACs in one day and um and so this is a real one. It's got revenue. I think the CEO, they, I watched an interview with the CEO. They've, they've already got like 15 million in revenue or something, and he projects it to triple this year. Um, you know, so I think some big questions here. I've, I think it's worthy of more research, and maybe we can have somebody from the company on yeah, one day that. and we can talk more about it. But the big questions in my mind are, okay, in, in particular for, let's take an 18-wheeler or a Class 8 truck. Uh, we know from our sonar data that those get, you know, only six or seven miles to the gallon uh, by diesel. So the question is, you know, what is the cost of this of this uh, electric powertrain, a hybrid mm -hmm. powertrain that they offer? You know, what's the return on investment? What's your new mileage and what's your new fuel savings? But I mean, it seems pretty compelling to me because if you think about the cost of running a trucking operation as a carrier, uh, you know, you, if you're a larger fleet, you do have a fuel surcharge, but a lot of those owner ops and some of the smaller fleets, they can't pass that through. But in any event, as a percentage of revenue, you basically have the driver and you have the fuel. Yep. And that's 70% of your operating costs. So I do think it's an enormous market, and I, I think they're tackling it, uh, you know, with, with an interesting product that's definitely worthy of more research. And, you know, one sort of existential question, the other thing, they, they have a... They're, their owner or their chairman, excuse me, uh, is the owner of the New York Islanders uh, and is a well-known, respected businessman. So yep. they definitely have they have that management angle as well. I think one of the questions is uh, in terms of these powertrains. So all the OEMs are, including Tesla, are looking to make their own. So the question is, once we go to that all-electric world, uh, and whether that's five, 10, 15 years down the road, you know, what is this company's role yep. in that world? Whether it, and, and you know, most likely it's probably licensing out their technology to the OEMs, but that, I think that's sort of a, a one of the, the main long-term questions. For yeah, I think company. that could be a good case for them to eventually get to a point where they're just licensing the tech. Uh, but yeah, it's definitely, 
it's a, it's a big issue once they go into in-house sourcing all of this, the powertrain and vertical integration is something we're, we're going to talk about with Apple uh, and their car production, but it's something that Tesla has, Tesla's de definitely, um, it's very important to Tesla's success. And I think other other car manufacturers are going to follow that suit and, and bring a lot of things in-house as well. So they may not have as big of a, an opportunity if that happens, but the licensing there is 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 certainly a way that they could go. Let's <clears throat> let's shift over to BarkBox because this is just, I mean, it's just funny, really. I, I don't, this is one, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I don't care about this one, uh, but we'll, we'll talk about what is happening. So BarkBox is a company that offers monthly subscription boxes for dog toys, treats, and other goodies for our four-legged companions. They now have over a million subs. They've grown 58% this year. They now cracked 1 million subs in the U.S., and they've decided to go ahead and jump on this frothy market and go public. So I don't care about this one, but Seth, uh, we'll, we'll get into some of the details of the company after you tell me whether you care or not about BarkBox. Yeah, no, I don't care about this one. Although I, I agree with you. I'm not going to laugh at it and dismiss it because these pet companies, it's a huge market and it's a very, it's a growing market and it is a market that I learned long ago. It <laughs> is something, you know, people will, the very last things that people will cut is their, you know, their cable bill. Uh, their cigarettes and their uh, and their dog toys and their dog toys yeah, and spending true. on their animals. That's um, true. So uh, I do think it's a little bit funny, and it and it kind of seems the 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 business model seems a little silly to me. I mean, it's it's it, you pay twenty five. The basic uh, subscription is you pay twenty five dollars a month, and you you receive a box full of dog treats, toys, and uh, a chew toy. Right. Correct. Yeah, that's it. And you get 25 bucks. You know, I don't know what their margins on. I haven't read through their S1 yet. Uh, I probably should have done that before this. But, you know, I just don't know how, you know, I think there are plans for expansion. You know, they could get into dog food and dog medicines. Uh, but as we spoke about right before we came on to do that, you got to get a veter veterinary license in all 50 states, which is not as like, not easy. Uh, it took Chewy a long time to get that, didn't it? Well, so I mean, there's there's the over-the-counter market, and then there's the prescription market. So a lot of the a lot of the business done in animal health uh, is stuff like flea and tick, which a lot of that stuff is over-the-counter, and so that that's easy. You can sell it. But there's also that's a competitive market. There's not a lot of barriers to entry. And I know me, I uh, you know I I wanted to sign up for Chewy, but then uh, I just signed up through Amazon to get my dog food. Uh, once every six months on auto subscription, I'm like, really, what is the reason that I need to sign up with BarkBox or Chewy or whoever it is? Why do I need a dedicated dog food subscription? I mean, that's the that is a question I would put to the management of this company. Right. And I guess, you know, they they come back with some sort of customer experience and uh, and that we provide a service that you can't, you know, and, and I guess I do get the point of these boxes. They I don't know exactly how BarkBox does it, but I know my girlfriend gets a couple different um uh, like makeup boxes and they just get samples or they get really cheap stuff that's almost donated to them and that's how they sell uh, they sell the boxes at $20 and make a decent margin on them so I don't know I assume BarkBox is doing something similar like that you get some sort of samples that they you know have very little cost in and that's where they get their margin on the boxes but I don't know yeah I mean I think I think this is a, a statement on a much larger trend which is you know a sub, uh, everything is moving towards subscriptions and direct to consumer so uh, you know, I, I was thinking the other day about this company, Quip. You know, they make the toothbrushes that they yep. send to you. Uh, so you just see more and more of these. And 90% of this company, uh, their revenue comes from subscriptions. So as long as they have low churn, it is going to get valued at a high multiple. And I think they, they probably have figured it out. I'm guessing they have loyal customers. I don't know how many more millions there are. It would seem like you... 
you probably penetrate the low-hanging fruit in terms of the super dog uh, fans that are mm -hmm. really willing to uh, spend. I mean, because that's it's not that cheap. It's like four hundred dollars a year uh, for dog toys. Um, so, <laughs> with, with me, with my golden retriever, just give him a you know. I'd I mean, all he needs is a tennis, tennis ball, balls, yeah. <laughs> and he's so. he's a happy he's a happy boy. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, one thing I wanted to note is that PetSmart is going to come public through. Uh, they're actually going to IPO, guys. Uh, they're going to IPO here in the next couple months. So we're going to have Wolf and Bark uh, as tickers. I love a pronounceable ticker. So we're going to have both of those coming to the market here uh, in the next few weeks. All right, let's shift gears to Apple Cars. It's our main conversation of the day. I'm going to break it down as the story, <clears throat> then I'm going to give you some of the facts, and then Seth and I will jump into our analysis of what we think uh, about the move. So Apple is apparently resurrecting plans to make a car. The tech behemoth is moving forward with a self-driving car technology and is targeting 2024 to produce passenger vehicles that could include its own breakthrough battery technology. There have been rumors of Apple developing a car going back all the way to 2015, but there's been a lot of murky water since then. In 2016, the project was scaled down significantly. Uh, they scrapped the development of a full car, and they refocused the team to provide software that would be licensed to car manufacturers. And then 200 people were laid off just last year in Apple's uh, car team, which is titled Project Titan. Now it seems that Apple has a renewed focus on building an actual vehicle, though there's a lot of uncertainty of when and even if that would happen. Reuters came out. They were the ones that broke this story, I think, just yesterday, and they said they're aiming for 2024 as a production goal, but that could be pushed back into 2025 or beyond because of pandemic-related delays. There's also still a chance that Apple could scale its efforts back and just do autonomous driving tech uh, or, or some other type of uh, EV um, method. So here, here's some of the facts. Doug Field, who he's got quite a resume. He used to be the CTO of Segway. He was formerly of Apple. He did. He was at Apple a few years back. He did. Uh, he headed uh, some, where, some hardware, um, hardware design. Then he went to Tesla, was a VP of manufacturing there. And now he's back to run the car development side of things. They've also shifted gears on the software side. They've gone away from a, a hardware guy to their artificial intelligence chief, John Giandera. Uh, he's going to take over the self-driving unit. And here's some of the crazy things. So this was reported out of Taipei-based Economic Daily News. They reported that automotive suppliers, including Taiwan's Hota Industrial Manufacturing Company, have been told by Apple to ramp up production for parts as early as the end of next year, by September. So that would be 2021 as you know, some sort of putting things together for Apple. And the big fact here is that the timing is quite peculiar. Foxconn Technology Group, which is its biggest supplier, they're the ones that make all the iPhones, that Apple wouldn't be able to survive without them, and Foxconn wouldn't be able to survive without Apple. They're also getting into cars. They released just this, this past week that they're going, to, uh, they're going to release an open vehicle platform in October. The company says that it will start shipping a first EV development kit. So you basically get a chassis and an electrical system for developers to then build a car on top of. They're going to be doing that. So after years of hearing very little out of Cupertino and out of Apple on this, we have them shifting their plans away from a hardware chief to an AI leader. They have the primary manufacturing partner unveiling its own modular uh, product. And then you also have all these other news of different companies getting into the EV market. You know, but the truth is Apple has a lot of cash. They've got $200 billion in cash. Uh, and so if, if they're going to go after a big market, that was one of my questions. Is this a good, is this the best use of Apple's cash? That's what we'll get into. Uh, but they've got a lot of it on hand and they need to do something big with it. Yeah, so my take here is a couple of things. This has been a long time coming. I think Apple is back, and Apple is coming right at Tesla. And one thing I'd say about just sort of at a high level is uh, on the competitive front for Tesla, 
their main challengers have been traditional OEMs, which for a lot of reasons, uh, you know, legacies, uh, existing infrastructure, they haven't been able to dive headfirst into electric vehicles and Tesla's gotten a big lead on them. And so I think just as a stock, Tesla has thrived as an open-ended growth story. And so for me, you referenced the fact that uh, Tesla was already on a short lease for me. So full disclosure, I was ready to sell that stock. <laughs> I, I do think that, um, you know, just this whole electric vehicle rally has gotten insane um, personally. But, um, but I do think that this is the real first formidable competition that Tesla may face. And yes, it's three or four years down the road. But I think for Tesla investors, this is going to be a multi-year overhang that kind of, it's a cloud that may hang over the stock and have people worried about it. And it may sort of limit that TAM argument, the total addressable market, because this isn't a cheap Chinese knockoff. This is Apple. And Apple has, it's one of the few companies in the world that I think you could logically argue has as powerful of a brand as Tesla does. And not only is it powerful, but it's a premium brand that conveys that sense of, uh, you know, uh, of luxury, class yeah. and luxury yeah. and uh, and everything. And so uh, I think Tesla, and not only that, it's a technology company, right? And so I think Al Apple has 200 billion in cash, I think you said. That's more than the market caps of 99% of the rest of the world. They've got the engineers, they've got the brand, they've got the vertical integration with the hardware and the software. The only question is, you know, Apple's coming from a place of a business with incredible economics. Now, and, and the car business, as it exists today, does not have good economics. It's capital intensive, it's low margin. Now the question that I think, I know you wanna talk about, and I know I wanna talk about, is in an autonomous world, in a internet of cars, IOC world, are there whole new revenue streams out there, whether it's full self-driving packages, whether it's entertainment, whether it's music, whatever it may be, is this their whole, other trillions of dollars in revenue streams out there that maybe Apple is thinking bigger than just being a uh, car OEM hardware manufacturer. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. I want to say uh, when, when you talk about profit margins, there's there's an article from Business Insider that t that compares uh, that talks about the idea for Apple, and they just compared them to Volkswagen, who's the you know the biggest car producer in the world. They produced 11 million cars last year. Over the last 10 years, they have operated with an average profit margin of 7%. Apple, on the other hand, is operated with a 28% profit margin. So just to get a, an idea of the different of the market that they would be going into, uh, well. The market they were going into today is a lot different from the market that they're going to be trying to create, as you said, in this internet of cars and the same thing that uh, Tesla is in as well. But let's talk about Apple's advantages because you, you touched on them there, but there's five big ones and you, you, you said each of them. One of them is they have that critical talent pipeline. That's been, uh, you know, that's been something that was difficult for Tesla to build up and they have a lot of churn at Tesla. They're, they're, it's a very demanding um, work environment and work culture. We, we haven't heard that so much out of Apple since Tim Cook has taken over. He's, it seems to be a more people's person than, than previous management. Uh, they have a massive cash reserves. So you put this in context. They have 200 billion in cash. Amazon back to Rivian has only raised, has raised $6 billion over the last uh, six or seven years. And that's a lot of money. I mean, that's a very highly backed startup that's got, a, it's got cars on the road. Uh, they've just rolled out their first vehicles with Amazon. But just to put in perspective how much cash uh, Apple has, they've got plenty to, to go after this. They've got 
a history of disruptive hardware from the iPhone to the, all the way back to the Macs and the PCs, but through uh, even today with, with everything that they create. The brand recognition, that's something, they, this world-class brand is not something that Rivian and Fisker and Lucid and, and some of their other competition uh, can fall back on. And then they have that rich ecosystem that they can leverage recurring subscription service revenue. And this is, let's talk about this for a minute because you, you made a funny point that I hadn't thought about. There's a lot of, spin, there's a lot of you know, spinoff uh, markets of this. You said that you think the value of billboards are going to go up a lot more, uh, go up a lot when uh, autonomous vehicles become a thing because we will no longer have our eyes on the road. We'll have our eyes elsewhere. It's the same idea with this recurring, recurring subscription. There's, a, there's thoughts that Tesla's going to add more screens and it's next. They're redoing the uh, Model S and Model X right now and they're thinking that they're going to add a lot more screens because they're going to eventually be selling or licensing content on those screens while people are riding in this autonomous Tesla. So that Internet of Cars, that subscription, that I think Apple is thinking ahead and thinking that that is where the real money is, is that, that this is a low margin business, but they can have this high margin recurring revenue in an autonomous uh, system where people will just be consuming content while they're riding. Right. And I, I think the uh, was it the Reuters or the Barron's article that we read in the script uh, but I mean, I think I think if you think really high level, what what are Tim Cook and the rest of the Apple executives thinking strategically here? Not only do you have these potential new revenue streams, but there's uh, over a billion people, and in, in terms of the existing auto retail auto fleet in the world, you got like one and a half billion cars, and people spending the you know driving twenty thousand miles a year. Uh, it's literally the the math broke breaks your calculator, um, and so. There may be some other objective, even if it's a loss leader or it is not as profitable as their base and legacy core business, there may be other reasons that they want to get into that car, especially one could argue as it goes autonomous, uh, you, you know, people may just be staring at their screens all the time. They may be on the internet so that my billboard thesis might prove false because they might be looking at their phones the whole time. Right, but, but the idea is it will open up all sorts of new revenue streams and products and everything else. But let's talk about the product for a moment. Like we, we don't know what Apple's going to do. They are historically very tight-lipped for good reason. You know, they don't we, they don't release any information about their upcoming products. So we don't know what they're going to do. We don't know whether they're going to go after a $25,000 market or a, a or a $100,000 car market. But you have to think that Apple wouldn't release a product that they don't think is going to exceed customer expectations or consumer expectations. That's kind of been their thing. They always produce they produce really good products, always deliver on time and they're always very reliable. Um, and, and so they must feel that they've got a better plan or a better product than Tesla. And like the thing that these two Apple spokespersons that uh, kind of leaked the information to Reuters, they wanted to stay anonymous, of course, because this is not public information yet. But they said that the company is going to come with game-changing battery technology. And it's going to be a bigger monocell design. So basically, you know, you reduce the, the number of batteries in the pack so that you can uh, increase energy density. That has its cons as, as well with uh, charging Charging speed and heat, those are the two main uh, cons that come with making bigger batteries. Tesla's already doing that. They, they've already moving to a larger cell. Uh, they're moving to the 4680 cell that they announced on Battery Day. They're already producing cars in China and, and, uh, and California with the 4680 cell. And then the next kind of game-changing technology that they said was, you know, Amazon, Apple is examining a lithium-iron phosphate battery, which, again, another thing Tesla has already seen and is already doing, already producing cars in China with, uh, with LFP batteries. So I just, I, I wonder, you know, these two things that were supposed to be game-changing, Tesla's already ahead of. Uh, they're already working on these things. And you're chasing a moving target with Tesla. You don't know what they're going to be producing in 2025. So do you think, 
I don't know. Do you think they've produced? Uh, you you think that they're, they're going to have an obvious real competitor here? That's why you sold your your shares and, and are are skeptical of it. Well, and I'll, I mean, a lot of that just has to do with dynamics. Where I think Tesla is priced for perfection. Where any any sort of I mean, when a stock goes up 15 times in in 18 months, any sort of negative news, uh, and and I I mean, I think we can get into that. But uh, you know, to your point though, we don't know what Apple has. I mean, it sounds like they've been working behind the scenes on this for at least five or six years. So mm-hmm. if, the fa- if they do have game-changing battery technology, as the article asserts, then maybe they're not as far behind as one would believe. And the other point I would make on that is that Apple prior to today, uh, in the last 24 hours, was a $2 trillion company. And the only news that has come out, and it's on a down day for the market, Apple's up 4 or 5% in the last 24 hours. So... You know, you and I talked about it. Uh, basically, the market has assessed this as a hundred billion dollar addition to their market capitalization in, in 24 hours. So, somebody out there thinks that they have something, and that maybe that that there's some good things to come from Apple. And you know, I've been following this story just from an investment and 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 research perspective. It's been long talked about for five or six years. A lot of it's been off and on. A lot of people thought it was dead. But, um, you know, if Apple really does have something, I I guess I would characterize it as this. As either a Tesla shareholder or a Tesla employee, I would, Ford or GM is not keeping me up at night. Apple might. Yeah, that's that's the conversation I wanted to get into because it's the same thing that I feel that I've been saying for a long time about autonomous vehicles, autonomous trucks, rather. It's the, the ones that win, the, the, the best plan, the best method to get to market, I think, is a startup to develop the technology and the software to then pair with an OEM uh, to, to put it in the cars. Because doing both, for the big guys, the software is not their game, and for the small guys, the building, the manufacturing is not their game. So the, the method that, that Apple's going to have here, they're not going to be producing the cars, manufacturing the cars like, like Tesla does. Um, but their partners are going to be very important in who they who they choose to end up building this. But they've taken a lot at the same time. They've taken a lot of their uh, portions of this back in house. Their sensors, their uh, lidar, all of these different. Uh, there's five different systems that will be in these cars that they've taken back in house in the last two years. So there's just a lot going on. And uh, that that being said, I want to. Apple is maniacal about their product design. Anyone who has, if you've read the Steve Jobs, Walter Isaacson biography, they, everything down to the last uh, line and the way it looks, the screen, everything, they, they think long and hard about those things. So even if they outsource the manufacturing, Apple will have, a, they, they will be essentially like an architect. They, they don't build the building, but they, everything about that car is going to be controlled by Apple, in my opinion. Yes, I I agree I agree with that, and um, what's my last point? I, I think my, let's talk about scale here for a minute for a minute because I think that's an important point that we haven't brought up yet, and that is that like I said, you're you're chasing a moving target with Tesla. This year they're going to produce five hundred thousand cars or so, deliver five hundred thousand cars or so. Next year they're planning to do about a million, uh, and then another million by twenty twenty four, twenty twenty five. So by the time that Apple rolls out its first car, which we don't know what kind of scale they're going to be at, whether they're going to be you know it took Tesla five or six years to get to the point to be able to produce 100,000 cars. Again, they're going to be outsourcing a lot of this manufacturing, so they're not going to be building these factories uh, from scratch to do it. But by the time that Apple is producing even $100,000, 100,000 cars, Tesla will be making three, four, five million. So, you know, what, what, is, the fr- what is the market? If you're Apple and you're, if you're not going to have that big of a, a piece of the market in 2025, what kind of car do you produce? Is it, is it really a $30,000 car? 
Yeah, I mean, I think we could talk for this about a half an hour, and then and, and, and we got two minutes. So I'm yeah. gonna try to I'm gonna try to think real quick. And I mean, so Apple has traditionally had premium products, right? And right. Tesla has premium products, but they've been going down market into the Model Threes and the Model Ys from the S's and the and the Roadsters. Yep. So going down from a hundred thousand, and that's been. So the the question is though, Apple does have that 200 billion in cash. They cash flow another, I mean, 100 billion dollars a year <laughs> in cash flow. Uh, so it's not going to be a question of money, right? And if they it, if they have a partner, it depends on who. You know, I don't know anything about automotive production, so I'm just kind of riffing here. But it seems like if anyone could get it done, they could. They have the cash. They have. Yes. A, we've already discussed everything else. Why would you not want to work with Apple? Um, now, I think the Reuters article discussed Magna International, who is a big auto uh, supplier and manufacturer. Uh, they needed a minimum volume volume commitment of 100,000 to do business with Apple. So, just to put that in context, there's 100 million cars. There's 100 million cars sold. So, but. I think regardless of whether it's a $30,000 car or a $60,000 car, there is that contingent, that legion of millions and hundreds of millions of Apple fans all over the globe that would buy this thing. I agree. The only thing that scares me as a Tesla fan and a Tesla stock owner is that brand. That's it. Nothing else scares me because I know how difficult it's been for Tesla to build the manufacturing, get the batteries, get all the technology right. I've seen how difficult that is. But building the brand was quite easy for them. They, they, they're going to have this really difficult brand to go up against. Uh, I don't know if it's the best, you know, my, I think my whole takeaway from here is that I don't know if this is the best thing for Apple to do, but if they're going to go after a big market, this is a big one that's growing. Autonomous vehicles and electric vehicles are going to be here. They have the brand name, the cash and the power to do it. So why not do it? Yeah. That's kind of the question. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, I think we're going to end it here, but I, I do think this is sort of a, a watershed moment for the electric vehicle industry. So it'll be interesting yeah. to watch. So we're going to be covering forward. more of this in the new year. We're back next Tuesday for our last show of the year. See you then.